Uh, If you have a Bible with you, could you please turn to Proverbs chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pews, and uh, it's on page 638. This is our final Sunday surgery, looking at the state of our hearts. And uh, just as a side issue, I have done out a feedback form, uh, and so... I would encourage you, of about 80 of these, I would encourage you, if you you would like to offer some feedback to these last couple of months, then pick one of these up on your way out. There's also an opportunity to critique me. Uh, So I'd really appreciate if you could could take one of those on your way home this morning. Right from uh, week one, I've constantly referred to this verse from Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Or above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, or it is the source of all life, or everything you do flows from it, depending on the translation you're using. And about eight weeks ago, I described this as my life verse, and and I want to explain why this morning. Back in 2001, uh, when I was on sabbatical, it was these 12 words... Uh, this proverb, this gem of biblical wisdom that grabbed my attention and it shook me to the core and it actually caused me to rethink and reevaluate my priorities. Because during my time off and while I was in Canada, somebody had the cheek, and I'm really glad they did, to look me in the eye and say to me, David, what are you doing to guard your heart? And I didn't have an answer. Or at least I didn't have an answer that stacked up. And so began a journey that continues today and probably will continue for the rest of my life. Because if the condition of in here really affects everything I do as a husband and as a dad and as a son and as a brother as a friend, as a church leader, as a colleague, as a footballer, as a TV watcher, as a car driver, as a book reader, then I desperately need to know what it means to guard my heart. Because it affects everything of what I do. And I suppose as we bring this series to an end this morning, I just want to look you in the eye. And I want to ask you that question. Because if above all, if this is the most important thing, then I'm just wanting you to answer and think about what are you doing? What do you do on a daily basis to guard your heart? Do you ever look at some of the things that you do and say, or some of the things that others do and say, all the negative things in particular, the hurtful comments, the angry words, the lustful thoughts, the lies, the gossip, the adulterous affair... And you think to yourself, like, where did that come from? Well, according to Jesus, he explicitly states it all comes from in here. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. And therefore, if we do not guard this, the consequences are often extreme. And before we... uh, get into how we might guard our hearts, let me attempt 
to explain why this is so difficult. You know, part of the conversion process that we go through as a Christian involves a change of heart. We looked at that in the very first week of this series. We receive a new heart, a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel describes it, that replaces the heart of stone that is cold and is indifferent towards God and is blasé about sin. And the Bible then goes on to confirm that the heart becomes the dwelling place of God. So 2 Corinthians 1.22 says that God has put his spirit in our hearts. And Paul's prayer for the Christians at Ephesus was that Christ would dwell in their hearts. That's 3.17. But if we get real for a moment, because the, despite, despite the truth of that, We are all too aware, or at least I am, of the tension that exists, that our hearts do still harden. My heart as a Christian does still grow cold at times. Sin still attracts me. It still entertains. It still reels me in. And so the question I have is, what's going on here? And Jeremiah reminds us, and here's the dilemma, that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. So who can understand it? And the bottom line is that your heart and mine is a battleground, and God longs for control of it, but so does the enemy. And God longs for surrendered hearts, but the enemy will do all he can to compromise your commitment and to keep all this negative behavior that I just referred to a moment spilling out of it. And we wage war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's explicit biblical teaching. And the war zone, the battlefield, the theatre of conflict is your heart. And God has given us as Christians new hearts, but they're constantly under attack, and they will be this side of the next life. And so you have got to do, and I must do, whatever I can to guard it, to protect it, and to watch over it. Someone has described the heart as the citadel of man. A citadel was a kind of fortress for protecting a town. And in this picture, the citadel is that large star-shaped structure on the left. And it needed to be protected. And it needed to be watched over. Because when an enemy attacked a town, their ultimate goal was to take control of the citadel. Because once they achieved that, then the whole town became theirs. And the parallels are obvious. The inner citadels of ours need to be strong. They need to be well fortified. They need to be guarded. They need to be watched over. They need to be protected. Because in his attempt to wreck your life and mine, the enemy heads straight for the core of your being. Because if he can take it, if he can influence it, then that will begin to affect everything that you do. Charles Bridges writes, If the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, desires, motives and pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his deepest treasure. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. And therefore, guarding this citadel becomes critically important because unless we do, our faith will suffer and we will struggle and again you don't have to look very far to discover many casualties and so the question what are you doing to guard it and on the flip side what is it that leaves our heart vulnerable to attack 
What is it that lets our guard down? And in a very real sense, I realize there are many answers to those questions, and we could go in all sorts of directions. But let me share one key way before I just explore what we're going to specifically look at this morning. But let me just share one key way which I discovered or rediscovered during my sabbatical back in 2001. And in what I'm about to share, I also want to introduce a new Lent series which we're going to be starting next Sunday evening that's going to run right up until Easter. So if this is an issue for you, if you are not sure on how to answer that question, what are you doing to guard your heart, then can I encourage you to make Sunday nights between next week and Easter Sunday a priority? You see, if I am going to guard my heart, then I need to engage in the practice of holy habits, of spiritual disciplines, some of which are here on the screen, prayer and silence and solitude and biblical meditation and fasting and confession. You know, back in 2001, I realized that those practices had virtually disappeared from my life. And God had to remind me of their importance. You see, I was trying, and I realized this, and I keep realizing this, that I was trying to live out of an empty soul. And I was trying to minister out of that place as well. And I'm going to say more about that next Sunday night. But the reality is that these things keep disappearing from my life. And therefore I constantly need to be reminded of their importance and their value. And on Tuesday or Monday of Tuesday of this week, Glenis and I, and I know that Alice and Trevor a day later had the privilege of being down at the sleeve, Russell, and listening to Gordon MacDonald for 24 hours. And some of you will have heard of him and may know him. But Gordon MacDonald was talking about a whole range of different things. And one of the things that he was urging us or warning us about was do not try to live your life out of an empty soul. Do not try to exist in the Christian life with the needle in the red zone. Make sure whatever you do, you are dwelling deep in God. And so the question, again, I want to ask us this morning is, are these habits, regular features of our Christian lives? Or are you here this morning and it often feels like you're running on empty? And it often feels like you're just skimming it? And that you're not really dwelling deep in God? Well, I hope that our Sunday evening Lent series will help us to revisit some of these as we think about them individually. And incidentally... uh, I know Lent does begin on Wednesday, and one of the members here at Windsor Baptist, Joel Prescott, has produced some weekly reflections for us, reflections that each of us can take and consider using during these next 40 days, and they're they're based on something called PR exercises. And so for each day of the week, Joel has prepared something that will give us an opportunity to just pause and realize something, pray and read something, ponder and reflect on something, plan and respond. There's 250 of these. I'd really encourage you to take one on your way out this morning. But there are other ways to guard your heart. Don't worry, I'm going to read the Bible in a moment. There there are other ways to guard your heart. And you know, even as I think about the series that we have looked at, here are the different heart conditions we have considered. And you know, whenever you humble yourself, whenever you are generous, whenever you are surrendered and committed, Whenever you show compassion and whenever you serve others, you guard your heart. It all hangs together, I hope. 
But let me be more specific this morning because I actually want to consider three other body parts that influence the condition of our hearts. They're mentioned immediately after Proverbs 4.23. And so we're going to read that together. So if you have a Bible, can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's Word? Proverbs chapter 4. Going to start at verse 23 and just read to the end of the chapter. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. Please take a seat. Here are the three body parts I want us to consider this morning. The mouth, the eyes, the feet. Verse 24 says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Do you know what we say really does matter? I know I've said this before, but I want to stress it this morning. What we say really does matter. The words that we use and the way that we speak reflect our heart condition. Jesus put it like this in Luke 6. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you know if... And this maybe is quite personal. If you want to discover the condition of your heart, if you want to discover the condition of somebody else's heart, just listen to the way they speak. That that will tell you everything. Because how we talk affects our heart condition and how we speak reflects our heart condition. Probably the best known section of the Bible that deals with our verbal communication is James 3, where where James stresses the need to tame our tongues. But he acknowledges that this is really difficult, and we we all know that. I mean, he recognizes that as human beings, we've been able to tame all kinds of wild and dangerous creatures, but when it comes to our own tongue, well, that's a completely different animal. And we all know the the damage that, that words can cause in individual lives, among friends, in a family, within communities, And even within a church. But it's the heart that suffers the real damage. It's the heart that suffers the real damage whenever we gossip. And whenever we put another person down. And whenever we criticize. And whenever we voice off. And whenever we brag. And whenever we manipulate. Whenever we exaggerate. Whenever we complain and gurn. Whenever we lie. It's the heart It just shrivels up. And James put it like this. The tongue corrupts the whole person and sets the course of his life on fire. Do you know inappropriate words and inappropriate talk corrode our hearts. They impact us to the very core of our being. Of course other people and other situations suffer but it's your heart that is ultimately damaged. And James also notes this dangerous inconsistency that sometimes exists between how we worship God and then how we speak about others. This, this is one of the biggest challenges I, I honestly face in my life. I can do the church thing. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. And, and sometimes it really blows my mind whenever I... And personally, and whenever I watch other people praise God and express love for God, and then it seems they walk out the door and they just rip people to shreds. Politicians. You know, the person that rings you up from that call center. That's the hard bits, isn't it? That's the hard stuff. 
with it we praise God and then we just launch off on someone there's something not right and it can't be like this and it shouldn't be like this and therefore part of our challenge in Christian discipleship is monitoring our speech and giving it over to God on a daily basis because that guards your heart the second body part that influences our heart condition verse 25 let your eyes look straight ahead fix your gaze directly before you you know the importance of focus in the Christian life is obvious and yet it's all too easy to get distracted and to allow other things to occupy your field of vision and biblically as I understand it we are instructed to fix our eyes in two specifics there's probably others but here are the two things that I always think about when it comes to fixing my eyes straight ahead I fix my eyes on the invisible and on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Gaining an eternal perspective in life is absolutely critical. But in a world that is obsessed with the tangible and the material, this is so hard to do. But what exactly does this have to do with our hearts? Well, Whenever our eyes only focus on the temporal, the physical and the seen, then our hearts begin to drift and they risk being taken captive by the treasures of this world. Jesus put it like this in his so-called Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And then he went on to talk about the eye in that text. And he says the eye is the lamp of the body because in scripture there is a real close connection and link between our eyes and our hearts. I, uh, last summer when I was in Donegal, and I was in a little coffee shop, there was a packet of sugar, and there was this little Irish proverb on the back of the packet of sugar. What fills the eye fills the heart. And the challenge that we face in guarding our hearts is to make sure that we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Not necessarily our physical eye, because I know that that's virtually impossible, but certainly our mind's eye. And so Paul writes in Colossians 3, and we've looked at this together as a church on Sunday nights, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. And I don't have time to do justice to this, but we must get the grips with with developing an eternal perspective. Do not only think about and focus so much of our energy on the physical and the tangible, the material, the temporal world, but to recognize that there is a whole other dimension. Set your minds on things above. See the bigger picture, because whenever you do, it guards your heart. And the second place we're instructed to fix our eyes is on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Whenever I was growing up in church, uh, we used to sing these words. I don't know if you identify with these. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Can anybody? Yeah, lots of people. Do you know those are nice words? But I don't know about you, but the things of earth generally seem to catch my attention and my eyesight much easier than the face of Jesus. And so maintaining a focus on Christ is a daily choice that I make, and it's an essential discipline in the Christian faith. And so where are your eyes fixed this morning? You know, for some of us, and I want to be sensitive here, for some of us, our lines of vision are almost totally occupied by our circumstances. And that's natural. 
And therefore we are, some of us this morning, really struggling because it's our circumstances that are just staring us in the face. And yet, in the midst of those circumstances, can I urge you to focus on Jesus? And Peter's experience in Matthew 14 is a prime example of this. Surrounded by wind and by waves that threatened to overwhelm him. He was able to walk in water, but that was until he lost his focus. And you may be in the midst of stuff at the moment. And you just have got your eyes on Jesus. But everything around you is trying to take your eyes off Jesus. And the moment you take your eyes off Jesus, you will sink. And there are others here, and it's our past, or maybe even our current failures, that always seem to be right there in front of us. And so we can't see beyond them. They're never out of sight. And they keep us crushed, or at best they keep us distracted. And the need, therefore, for some of us to see Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith is critical. Do you know, we're all messed up people. And you may look around you this morning and you may think everybody just seems to have it so together here, except me. Well, I can guarantee you, they don't. And we all make mistakes, but you know, because of this, because of the cross, whenever God looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. He sees the restorer of my soul, the forgiver of my sin, the healer of my pain, my advocate, my substitute, my redeemer, my saviour, my hope, my friend. And that's part of what I believe it means to fix our eyes on Jesus, to constantly and consistently reflect on what he has done for us. And when our eyes are fixed in the right place, our hearts are guarded. And just one last thing in this. You know, sometimes we fix our eyes on other Christians. And I've lost count of the number of people I've met who've been left disillusioned by other Christians. And I don't know if you're here this morning and... God appeals and even Jesus appeals but other Christians do your head in and the problem is that you allow other Christians to take your eyes off Jesus don't go there because other Christians will continually disappoint you and let me say right now I will continually disappoint you and the final body part that is mentioned is our feet do not swerve, verse 27 says, to the right, to the left, keep your foot from evil. You know, getting sidetracked on the Christian life is a constant danger. There are detours at every stage of the journey that can lead us into sin. And it's not necessarily that our feet uh, sin, but they take us into those situations where they divide our hearts. And they walk us into that unhelpful relationship. And they walk us into that place of temptation where we end up compromising our faith. And the Bible is packed with recommended safe places to walk. I don't need to say anything, but here's just some examples of safe places to walk. Walk in all the way the Lord your God's commanded you. Blessed are those who walk in the light of God's presence. Let us walk in the light of God. This is love that we walk in obedience, and those who claim to live in God, a verse I keeps referring to, must walk as Jesus did. Do you know, whenever we walk in these places, we guard our hearts. And so today as we finish and as we leave this building, the battle for your heart and for mine is going to continue to rage and it will do for the rest of your life. And a couple of weeks ago I said this, it's not just how you start that matters, not just how you start the Christian life that matters, it's actually how you finish it that really counts. 
And if we're going to finish well, if we're going to stay the course, then I want to suggest that we absolutely must discover what it means to guard our hearts. And so this morning, if I was to ask you, what do you do to guard your heart? And if before this morning you would have maybe struggled with us, can I say, please, please grasp this, take this away, reflect on this, think about this further. Because the state of in here really does affect everything you do. And so as you answer that question, what am I doing to guard my heart? Please consider the effect and the role that your mouth plays in this that your eyes play on this, and that your feet play on this. And as we finish, I just want to lead us in a prayer, and I'd like to invite us to stand. We're not going to sing again, but I'm going to invite us to stand and just pray this prayer. I realize we, just, we do have a few moments, and uh, in a sense, I do want to sort of like mark the end of this series as we've been thinking about the state of our hearts. And in the silence, I just want us to return to a verse that we looked at together in Psalm, where it just said, God, search my heart. And so, during these moments of quietness, let me encourage you to allow God to search your hearts. And then we will pray together. Let's pray. God, be in my head and in my understanding. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God, be in my heart and in my thinking. God, be in my feet and in my walking. Amen. Incidentally, in terms of just later on at 7 o'clock, tomorrow is the beginning of Global Poverty Prayer Week. And so tonight we're going to be marking that and we're going to be praying into that situation. And so if you're available to come back tonight and that is on your heart, then I'd invite you to come and join us. Thanks.